What's up? This is week 59. I got some reviews for you and uh, pick a movie drawing and uh, update, whatnot, the usual stuff. I want to start this out with another correction. Uh, last time, I don't know, I, I noticed in the Sling Blade review I said he has Alzheimer's. I meant maybe like autism is what I meant. Sorry about that. So yeah, of course he doesn't have Alzheimer's, dummy. But I meant autism. So let me hop into the reviews. The first review I will be doing is from Arrow Films. This is The Addiction by Abel Ferreira. This was uh, made in 1995. It's a black and white movie. Uh, Abel Ferreira has done a lot of movies, and he's probably one of the better or best cult directors out there when you think about his uh, resume with Driller Killer, Miss 45, King of New York, The Funeral, um, a bunch of other stuff as well. He's just uh, a very, very memorable, bad lieutenant uh, director, and he has a certain style. Uh, it's undeniable when he does a movie. It's always him. Uh, this is probably one of his most different movies I've ever seen. This is actually one, the first time I've seen this one. It's shot in black and white, and it's a vampire flick. I think the only other straight-up horror movie he did was The Body Snatchers, and the uh, I, this probably was a little after that. Um, so it's, it's kind of strange to see him. He always kind of flirts with that line. A lot of his movies are have like uh, revenge elements and exploitation elements. So they all kind of feel like in the same kind of uh, genre a little bit. But uh, this one is definitely his most like artistic looking when it, when it comes to like artsy shot and whatnot. The lighting and the composition is really well done. This follows the story of a, a college student who's studying philosophy. She's trying to get a doctorate in it. And uh, she gets bitten one night by this vampire in an alleyway. And she, of course, develops a, uh, a thirst for blood. She goes around. She starts turning other people into vampires. Uh, it has a nice cast in here. You'll notice some familiar faces from that like time frame in films like Edie Falco, uh, Michael Imperioli, um, Paul Calderon. Um, so uh, there's a lot of familiar faces like this. It also has a, a, a small role by Christopher Walken, which is really good. Um, he's always good. Uh, this one is one of these movies that while I was watching, I was like, oh, this is really well made. This is uh, thought-provoking. It has its message. It knows what it's doing. But I'm not particularly sure if I like what it's doing or like what it has to say. And It's just one of those things that it is like semi-thought-provoking, beautifully shot. There's lots of great images, imagery here and shadows and whatnot, especially when she's in a hospital bed, which is a quite brilliant scene where she wants the blinds to be opened uh, when she gets really sick. Uh, and there's a nice setup of a slaughter scene in here, which is pretty uh, interesting tense um and uh well done so all in all i think it's a really well made and well shot movie but it's there's something about its message that is a little um not so bothersome to me but just i don't really jive on it maybe i don't understand it as much as i would uh you know like to I, i'm not a philosophy major and there's a lot of philosophy in here nietzsche and stuff like that and i i, I can only grasp what i know and the writer of this movie you know he knew a lot about philosophy he knows a lot about religion and these are things that i am not overly interested in or not necessarily uninterested in, just not necessarily um educated in i will say for sure um the disc uh this is the first time it's ever been released on blu-ray and probably the first time it's ever had a nice release where it's properly uh in its right ratio uh for screen and whatnot but there's a commentary with Abel Ferreira, and man, he uh, takes that thing. He drives it. There's a moderator on there, and, and Abel Ferreira is one of these guys that just does whatever he wants. He play, he play He's dancing to his own tune. He doesn't care where the guy's trying to lead him. He talks about what he wants to talk. He says, listen, man, I, we did this. Or He's always argumentative, or he's always doing counterpoints, or what he's always playing that uh, devil's advocate, for sure, on the commentary. I enjoy the interviews on here. They got Lily Taylor and uh, Christopher Walken, and he's involved with it, too, and at points he 
turns the camera on the moderator and starts asking him questions, not even in like a rude way, just like an interesting way. Like a Bell Ferreira constantly feels like he wants to learn things or, or study people and study things. And that's kind of really cool. This is one of his more interesting movies, but not one of my more favorite of his. I, I really have a soft spot for Miss 45. And, and they compare these two because they both have like female leads that were both attacked. And then they both went out and attacked other people, um, strangers. So has that going for it. And uh, it, it's a unique vampire movie. I've, I've not seen anything quite like it. And there's a lot of religious symbolism in here. Uh, do I like it? I'm not so sure, but do I think it's a good movie? Absolutely. Do I think it's a nice release? Absolutely. I, I, they actually interviewed Christopher Walken, like I said on here, and that's brilliant. They talk about addiction. They talk about the metaphors and stuff. So there's a lot to swallow in the movie. There's lots of ideas in here. And, uh, you know, Abel Ferrer is one of the most interesting directors, uh, to me out there that, uh, you know, he does a lot of weird things and interesting things, and he always has his own unique voice at the same time by making movies that are different, but they have his signature style on there, which is a, which is something that's supposed to be, I think, that directors should do. If you watch a, some of these Guns for Hire, you watch 10 movies by him, and you don't know that he did all of them. If you watch a Bel Ferrer movie, you know it's a Bel Ferrer. Okay, and uh, the addiction is most certainly <laughs> the Bel Ferrer movie. Uh, well acted, uh, well cast, well shot, and uh, a unique uh, take on the vampire genre. Um, the Arrow edition, like I said, is probably the best you're going to see. I remember I had a import DVD that I never had a chance to watch, and before that, it was only on VHS. And I, I believe the aspect ratio was all screwed up. So yeah, that's the addiction from Arrow Films. See a vision in the darkness Every time I close my eyes I can feel the heat from your body it Won't let me sleep at night I hear you Was there a lot of resistance to the idea of making it in black and white? When you make it for nothing, nobody gives you any resistance. That's the big, you know, who's no, who gives a shit? You know, we're doing what we're doing, you know. And part of that, part of the night thing, I mean, I'm a night owl anyway, but walking home New York like at two in the morning, it was, that was part of the prep. Where you're actually seeing the fucking world. Not some fucking, the same 50 people walking up back and forth on streets that are shut off. Is evil something that has an existence in nature? Or is it instead a label that people have put on nature in order to uh, disown certain human impulses? Yeah, no, we which... did see it's in black and white. On black and white stuff, so there's no going back. But in black and white, the blood is uh, Hershey's syrup. Coming this fall. You came after me, you took my hand, you tried to force me into some alley. Isn't that how it went? You think you understand things, you know nothing. You understand nothing. I'll show you what you are. I see your vision in the darkness. Every time I close my eyes, I can feel the heat from your body. You won't let me sleep at night. I hear you whistle. The is right over here. I can't face the new day, baby, until I receive your kiss. Satellite becomes my amen. The next one here is Vigil. 
Uh, this is a New Zealand film made in the mid-80s. I had never seen it. Uh, this is the first movie that ever went to Cannes from New Zealand. So it has like a, you know, a cult status and it has an important status in here. This one was made, I believe, in 85. Uh, this is a very strange movie. Um, it, it takes place in New Zealand, like I said. So the way it's shot and the isolation uh, are perfect. This movie almost feels like it doesn't take place on Earth. And there's some weird kind of elements going on here. It feels like almost like it's... Uh, at a different time you don't really know the time you don't really know even the place and it doesn't to me it feels very fantasy like if that makes any sense it follows a story it's a kind of it's a coming of age story about a young girl who uh, loses her father and her and her mother and her grandfather are on this farm struggling and this kind of poacher comes around and he kind of starts a relationship with the mother a little bit and the grandfather and the daughter and how they intertwine and she sees him as something that he's not but it's also a very very strange relationship and uh, that's pretty much the whole entire movie there, but uh, there's a lot of uh, beautiful imagery and there's lots of almost dark, not even dark humor, but there's kind of humor in here for sure, like with the grandfather and how he's always trying to fix things. And there's these weird symbolism with hawks and it, it's just kind of a, it, it's shot at times like a horror movie too. There's just like horrible things that happen in it that feel like a legit horror movie. Um, the flutter of the wings you hear because the father was obsessed with hawks and he always wanted to kill the hawks and... At one point, he's, the grandfather says that's the only time I've ever seen him smile is when he's pulling the hawks, uh, putting these hawks on this fence. And the, there's a, t a scene where it cuts away and you just hear the flutter of the hawk and like uh, this screaming. And that stuff's actually pretty, pretty, uh, um, it works very well, to be honest. But this one is a strange movie. I, I want to watch it again to kind of fully grasp exactly what I feel is going on here. But to me, it was just kind of a strange, light fantasy coming of age movie that was shot really well and it was in a beautiful location. And I liked a lot of the stuff going for it, but I just didn't grasp everything that was in it. There's like an archival interview with the director on here. There's an appreciation of the movie on here by a film historian. So it has a couple features on here which are nice. And it's an interesting movie. It's just something that I think that I would need to see a couple more times to uh, uh, appreciate more or, uh, you know, understand a little bit more what's going on, unless that it's pretty straightforward, just well-made movie, because it is that as well. But uh, there's some little, like, things in here that are kind of surprising, um, and they don't hit you over the head with it either. It's right there in your face, but they don't have to say it a hundred times either, and that's always appreciative. So it's a pretty cool movie as well. Uh, not, uh, not a favorite movie of mine or anything like that, but uh, something that uh, is interesting. And I like some of the stuff that the little girl hears from the characters in the movie that are just like, oh, well, I would definitely not say that to a little girl. But uh, it, it's it's a pretty uh, visually appealing movie for sure. And that's a vigil. It's a question of precision. Timing. Strength. It's very rare that, as a critic, you get to see something before anyone else does. When a feature film company moved into North Taranaki recently, it brought entertainment, employment and money with it. Uh, I hate to stray into such territory, but I almost feel he is the only authentic religious filmmaker in New Zealand. <laughs> Keep her in your sights, Toss! Granddad. 
this. I think I'm dying, granted. Okay, the next one here is from Arxploitation Films. This is Summer House. And, uh, you know, Arxploitation Films is usually the uh, the label that takes movies that are, are well-made or unique or different or just so batshit from different countries that nobody else wants to touch and puts them out. Like stuff like The Treatment, which had a really, really disturbing subject matter about pedophilia. And uh, this one has a similar subject matter. So that's why I think that they probably tackled it and put it out because, like, The Treatment is an excellently well-made movie, but it, it has these disturbing subject matters that a lot of companies be like, we don't want anything to do with that. And I think that that's what their kind of their deal is. So, and they do this from all around the world. Summer House follows the story of these uh, a couple business partners, but it really focuses on the one uh, one guy and his family. And uh, he, uh, this is going to be some. This is the disturbing kind of thing. He's uh, in a married relation. He's married and he has a kid, but he's a homosexual. And he has a, a you know kind of like a, a boyfriend on the side that he has come in and he sleeps around. And he becomes infatuated with this business partner's like 14-year-old son and he or 12-year-old son. And he's obsessed with him. And he starts to watch him. And the, the damage that he does with him and his wife and the, the way they treat each other and what he's doing to his wife by doing this kind of thing. And she knows something's wrong. He doesn't want to touch her. You see the damage the psychological stuff that happens to her and it starts to play effects on the daughter the whole thing like that and you it, it sets up this whole end that you don't see coming but you understand when it happens why it happened and you're like oh wow you know there's circumstances for your actions and this is what this movie's about there's a lot of disturbing things here and the guy the lead guy does a really good performance because he creeped the shit out of me he's really really gross and it never goes fully sexual in here, but the way he acts around the kid, the way he smiles, the way he manipulates him. Um, but it's not all that it seems. Something in here, you know, somebody knows a little bit more than they lead on. And uh, it is, it does seem to be a little drawn out at times, but for the most part, it is just kind of a disturbing family drama with, uh, you know, fairly good acting and a disturbing subject matter, to be honest. That's pretty much what it has going for it. Um, and there's a couple moments that are pretty intense. Uh, and it's shot not in a, like a dark, twisted way. It's shot pretty, uh, I mean, like the lighting and stuff like that looks pretty much like, I don't want to say flat because it's not flat, but it's just not like always dark or gritty. It just looks like it's from a regular, like, you know, every Hollywood movie or something or a typical movie. So it has that going for it, but it has all these like dark underbelly and, you know, um, suburbia and uh, upper, upper upper middle class they're probably a little higher than that they do seem to have money which is pl plays into the plot as well and uh you know some classism here and stuff like that and it's just a strange movie there's a lot of features on here interviews with like the filmmakers and composer and stuff on there so if it interests you uh you might want to check it out but maybe check out the trailer and see if it's just like pushing that limit for you because i, I can imagine that this isn't going to be for everybody like i said it's not overly graphic in detail or anything like that but just it, it's very uncomfortable to watch it's not pleasant kind of to watch it kind of makes you your skin crawl for sure wie viel 138.000 gibt's probleme beim projekt ich hab scheiße gebaut du kennst aber elisabeth ich gehe mit dir in eine klasse Ich glaube, es ist nicht zu ihr, ja. 
freuen sie dich an. Besuch sie öfters. Fällt bist du? 22. Arbeitet dein Vater immer zu Hause? Nein, nur heute. Wieso? Nur so. Würdest du mir einen Gefallen tun? Was ist es denn? Alles Gute zum Hochzeitstag. Geh mich um zu. Mir geht's scheiße! Hau ab! Wie lange seid ihr schon verheiratet? Zwölf Jahre. Weil die nicht verstehen, dass wir befreundet sind. Aber wir sind doch mehr als Freunde. Wo ist denn dein Papa? Was geht dich das an? Eine ganze Menge. Okay, the next one here is by Vinegar Syndrome. This came out, I believe, in their June package. This is a Deadmate, aka Grave Robbers. I had uh, never seen this one. I had heard about it. I had the old DVD with Monstrosity by Milligan on there. It was a double feature, and never had a chance to watch it. So when I heard Vinegar Syndrome was doing, I was like, I'm gonna wait because they're gonna polish this thing and make it look amazing. And they did exactly that. This is an oddity. This is a, a curio, I guess they would call it, or I know that uh, the guys at Vinegar Syndrome would call it that. And it is. It, it's a weird, weird movie. It, is a dark comedy, offbeat, uh, really weird and just strange all around. We have this uh, woman who has some sort of blood phobia. You learn this from narration. And she works in this cafe. She used to be a prostitute. This guy comes in and says, will you marry me? She goes with him. They drive away in a hearse. He runs this funeral parlor. She gets to this small town and realizes not everybody is right. There's something up with the dead bodies. There's some weird science thing going on with the bodies. And there's some weird sexual stuff going on in this town as well. She starts to dig deeper and she realizes what's going on. And uh, what's going on is a fairly disturbing uh, thing here. There's uh, some uh, funny uh, stuff with the paramedics, which is actually really great at the same time without spoiling too much and uh there's also you know some nudity in here but uh they're dead bodies so that's really kind of a uh, you know a uh, little bit uh unpleasant and so the whole plot of the movie involves a sexual thing with dead people that's all i'm gonna say i just gave too much away but i think it's fairly obvious from the title and but uh, what this movie does do is it, it does feel a bit slow and it does feel a bit repetitive at times, but it does paint a nice like city, a little small town feel, evil small town. And I kind of like that. And also it does open up with some gore gags right off the bat to keep your, to catch your attention. It opens these, these corpses are reaching in or these hands are reaching in, pulling at uh, this girl. And, and you think they're reaching for her breast to expose her breast, but they just rip her skin out and pull her heart out. And I was like, that is pretty intense right off the bat. So it catches your attention. And, uh, you know, later on, there's some, they throw in nudity here and there and some weird lines. This whole movie has like this AIDS message thing going on. And one of the lines in the dialogue, literally, I was like, are you kidding me? Like I slapped myself in the head and just was like, some, all I want to say is we can't get AIDS because they're dead or some line like that. But, um, 
absolute ridiculous line absolutely ridiculous premise but it it's well aware of its ridiculousness and its offbeatness and it, it it plays into its offbeatness almost to its detriment at times like where you're like okay we we know but at times it goes over over it to it, it almost gets too stupid for its own good just i would particularly say the ending is what gets too stupid for its own good the kind of voiceover it just is it's it's uh, it's too much for me but uh besides that like i said they do end up doing some nice gore gags the acting ranges some of it's all right some of it's bad i think some of them are decent it, it's a you know ranging acting here over the top acting to a certain extent and that's probably what they were told to do or they're probably going for that certain deal here but uh there's some good effects there's some spoofy like not necessarily spoofy but zany kind of characters for sure and and uh one of the motorcycle scene uh involving a, a ghoul uh it's really fun and really great reminds me of the tales of the crypt scene but just more elaborate from the original 1972 movie from Amicus. So it reminds me of that a bit going on. Uh, the ending, I, I, I pretty much hate the ending, but that's that's what I'm going with on there. Um, there's a funny song in here which uh, goes into the plot of the movie. And uh, on the disc, there's a commentary with the director, and he seems to enjoy the movie quite a bit. And he talks about, you know, the comedy and how he worked for years and stuff, cutting trailers together and how he directed a bunch of movies and this low-budget stuff. And there's also an interview with him on here, which is 18 minutes long, and he talks about his career and how this came to be. It's all informative, and uh, it's pretty cool that uh, you learn some a bit about filmmaking, especially, you know, on like a semi-indie like Hollywood kind of scale like and uh they talk about how this one was just basically didn't hit theaters or very limited all these movies and they just went straight to tape and and uh but it's funny because these movies are shot in widescreen and they look really good and then they just went straight to tape but uh yeah there's a it has a nice atmosphere and uh it has some nice moments it's not a perfect movie by any means but no movie really is uh I'm not a, I'm not in love with it but I'm never disappointed when I watch a Vinegar Syndrome title because they make it look so good and they always make a nice package to you know keep you intrigued and you know and uh, i'm definitely not disappointed i watched it i'm glad i watched it and uh it's one of these movies that uh i can cross off the oddball list that i wanted to see for a while that's grave robbers always a tragedy and the death of a young person this young person this beautiful wisp of a child you know Nora you should have listened to Reverend Collins he wasn't one of us he was probably the only person who could save you and you killed him <laughs> 
come on. Let us have a look. Bring her out. What's the harm? Donna! Donna, thank God it's you! Same nightmare again, honey. Okay, the first one we're going to review together is Deadly Daphne's Revenge by Vinegar Syndrome. This was a one that Troma picked up and distributed years ago, but I don't think they actually made it. Uh, it's far too serious for a Troma movie. But uh, this was um, uh, also called Hunting Season. Both titles are not appropriate at all. This is weird. This is a weird movie, guys. This is a smorgasbord. I don't even know how to approach what happens in this movie. Okay, what we have here is a group of, uh, basically, um, a guy, a, a racist, rapist, dickhead, uh, who has a lot of money, is going on a camping trip. He brings his friends and his brother-in-law, his half-brother or something. They don't really want to go. One of them kind of does. He um, picks up a young girl and uh, rapes her. None of the other guys, uh, they're all guilty by a certain extent. One by not doing anything. One by having statutory rape uh, with her, having sex before statutory rape. And one who basically backs out at the last minute, sexual assault. So it's a varying degrees of guilty parties associated with this woman. And then it turns into, you, at first you think it's going to be a rape revenge movie. Because you hear Deadly Daphne's Revenge. Even though this girl's not Daphne. It's, that's even, even more convoluted. But what happens is it turns into this kind of courtroom drama. Or basically this, uh, it's not even in courtroom either. It's behind the scenes people arguing what they're going to do. Why this person's guilty. And you realize basically the effects of what a rape has on somebody. And what a rape has on people that are accused of it. That not necessarily committed a rape. Even though one horrible person did, uh, basically was the catalyst for all this to happen. Uh, it is kind of silly and kind of goofy at times too. So, but it's not purposely silly or goofy. No, the main bad guy is actually a really good actor, only because he's playing a larger than life monster, and it's somehow he makes it seem like the guy's real. I don't even know how to explain this guy. Within the first ten minutes of the movie, you realize he's a pervert, a bigot, a racist. He's just an animal. And, it's, and he treats everybody like garbage and pushes them around. Um, I don't know what else to say about this movie. Um, where can we go with it? Um, yeah, it's it's not a courtroom drama because... There's no courtroom. They literally never go to court. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it's all set up to be a courtroom drama. Right, right. And it's all set up to be a rape revenge, but none of it happens. It's the lawyer talking to, like, the prosecutor and, yes. like... like it's it's like a million like like backroom deals that <laughs> yes it, it, it's it's it it's gets, good it's it, it's I don't know if it's no good. It's not, <laughs> I don't even know if it's good it's not good <laughs> but <laughs> one of the characters who's not really guilty of anything is brought drugged through the dirt because the prosecutor basically tells this woman that you have to press charges on all these guys even though all of them aren't guilty because no one will believe you that just one is truly really a couple of them are guilty no one's gonna believe that so they put prosecution against this one guy who's just this kind of wormy nerdy guy and his scene his breakdown is the best part of the entire movie it's actually a really great scene uh Besides that, there's this strange opening part of the story that talks about this, uh, why the character, the bad guy, is basically the way he is, involving an African-American woman he had an affair with, and that plays into the end. Um, it's ridiculous, to be honest, and I believe that the person is wearing blackface. I don't think they're actually African-American. They say that she's half, but she's not even. It's just a white woman with blackface on. Yeah. I don't really know how to... It, it's a fairly uneventful movie, but at times... 
it feels like just a lifetime movie on crack. It does, and the the vil- um, would you call him a villain? Which the, guy? The, the the guy that does the raping. Yes, he's a villain. Okay, yeah. Why would I, you even I, ask that? <laughs> of course, he's a villain. Like he, I guess, like he, the the movie kind of like half it. it it implies that he's like been in some sort of legal trouble before, and he always finds a way to kind of like weasel his way out of it. So well, he like, has money and connections. Yeah, and so he, like, there there is a backstory with uh, Daphne, um, yeah. <laughs> which plays in about <laughs> ten seconds of the whole entire it, it, movie. It, it does. But, uh, who's the officer? Which officer? Um, the the, the one that's Daphne's. Oh, oh, I can't believe James Avery's in this yeah. movie. Very young, from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. His scene is great. Like, he walks in, and the cops, he's related. He's a cop that's doing the arresting officer on him, and he's actually brothers with Daphne, and you realize that this guy screwed over Daphne years ago. Um, so, like, when he's arresting him, he's like, you white piece of shit. <laughs> it's like, everybody's racist in this movie. It's so weird. And the director is actually one of the actors in the movie. And he, like, set himself up with the young girl to have a relationship, even though he's double her age. So it's like, it's kind of a vanity project in that sense, but it's not necessarily a vanity project. And <laughs> you actually don't hate that guy for some reason, even though he committed statutory rape. He's the only halfway decent person in the movie because the prosecutor's a piece of crap because he's right. prosecuting people that don't one of the guys didn't deserve it at all right and then on top of that um the girl is lying to basically catch one guy so she's not all that likable and then of course one's a monster rapist one gets pushed around into almost committing rape one's committed statutory rape most likable guy in the movie and one is just a pushed around baby that basically is doomed because of the set of circumstances he's in so it's like a bunch of varying pieces of garbage like stumbling through a movie but you don't hate all the pieces of garbage for some reason i don't know why right you know a lot of the people are technically i guess guilty by association yes. and daphine's even terrible yeah they explain what daphine did mm -hmm. so daphine's a monster too so it's like i don't want any of these people I don't, know, I don't even know what it and then it all has like a lifetime feel like i was like oh this is gonna be real sleazy because it starts off real trashy like he's picking up the girl in the rv he's like we're gonna have some fun boys and this guy is like i don't know he's not a bad actor but he's ridiculous he's like a cartoon as realistic as you can get a cartoon he's like oh fuck guys he's like it's just like i don't know how to explain him like what'd you call him? we said he's like an evil john goodman or something kind of yeah because he reminded me like um the John Goodman from um, Big Lebowski, but like a rapist took, version. Yeah, if you took all the and racist bad, rapist version, of like him. aspects of him, and, like intensified it, like dialed up to a hundred. Because I think I don't know if Walter is actually racist. I don't think I so. Mean, he does say the horrible uh, stuff about Germans. He does. He's like I told that crowd, I don't want <laughs> So he kind of is, but I don't know. Um, so uh, Deadly Daphne's Revenge. Uh, I don't know what to say with this. There is an interview with one of the actresses, the one who played the secretary in here, or the receptionist. I don't remember what she was in the movie. But uh, I <laughs> it has some weird performances, and all around it's a weird movie that isn't a horror movie, and isn't a drama, and isn't a Lifetime movie. It isn't really anything. It's just there. Yeah. Yeah. Fresh from today's headlines, a hideous crime has been committed. Bastard. You bigoted, perverted, filthy bastard! I ain't too crazy about you either, <laughs> And now, the vicious, violent bully is in trouble. I'm in jail getting busted in here! I'm a couple of men ridden bastard myself! 
I'd bust his ass right now if it would have been trouble for the DA anymore. In trouble with the law. You're under arrest. In trouble with his friends. I had a million dollar insurance policy on a shopping mall canceled. My business and reputation are going to be ruined. And there's nothing that you or your lawyer can do about it. In trouble with a mob. That's why you're in this mess, because you're stupid. Cost you 20000 Ten up front, ten when a job's done. You just better hope she doesn't run in front of any cars for the next few days. Sure, Jake. But worst of all, he's in trouble with Daphne. Come on in, honey. His crime is the most atrocious, but Daphne's revenge is the most unspeakable. Deadly Daphne's Revenge. Finally, a horrifying, terrifying, shocking, action-packed motion picture that goes beyond anything you've ever seen before. Remember, there's nothing more dangerous than a woman on a rampage of revenge. Deadly Daphne's Revenge. Men will be shocked. Women will understand. If revenge is sweet, then dying is a piece of cake. Deadly Daphne's Revenge, the action suspense film that proves once and for all that women seeking revenge are the most terrifying animals on the face of the earth. Deadly Daphne's Revenge. You'll hear torture. You'll see rape. You'll understand violence. You won't believe your senses. Deadly Daphne's Revenge. Okay, guys, the next one is the VHS Voyage. And uh, I don't have the VHS, which is quite unfortunate, but I do have a bootleg. I know it's never been released on DVD anywhere. This is Elves with Dan Haggerty from Grizzly Adams and the classic movie The Chilling. <laughs> Chilling's not classic. But okay, uh, Elves. For years and years, I, it's a little creature movie, so I'm interested in those. Everybody's like, oh, it's a boring piece of crap. It's terrible. It's terrible. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'll watch Elves for the VHS Voyage because, uh, you know, I've always wanted to see it, but I've heard bad things. This movie is not boring. It's not good, but I love it because it's vastly entertaining. It's what the definition of a good, bad movie is, really. Yeah, it's the definition. Um, the plot... Which plot? Which which part of the movie? Cause... I mean, it's all part of the plot. <laughs> I don't know how to explain this plot without sounding like a raving lunatic. Okay, Dan Haggerty is an ex-cop forced to be a security guard, forced to be a mall Santa. Um, there's these girls who are throwing a party that work at this store, this convenience store. It all takes place on Christmas time. There's this weird book that one of the girls' grandfathers owns who's doing like a Doctor Strange love. He's in a wheelchair and he's really weird and German. And uh, this movie's self-aware of its goofiness for sure. It's playing jokes the whole time. Anybody mm -hmm. says otherwise, I think they're wrong. I think this movie knows it's goofy and it's playing into it. So they steal this weird, what is it, like a... Um, Norwegian or, or Scandinavian uh, evil cult book. I don't know what it is. It's a magic book. They're, a magic book. But they're witches. They're not witches. They're elves. But uh, <laughs> and there's only one damn elf in the movie. The movie should be called Elf. But <laughs> there's only one of them. But uh, regardless, they do this spell in the woods and it brings back this elf. But what ties into this elf is this weird Nazi uh, cult 
crap and the Nazis want the elves to mate with them to create the master race. That's the plot here. So they want this girl who's been breeded her whole life into mating with this elf so they can create a master race. It's up to Dan Haggerty, the ex-cop, ex-security guard, now mall Santa, to <laughs> stop the elves. Uh, Dan Haggerty makes this movie. He's charming. He is funny. He is soft-spoken, but a burly badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nazis are hilarious. There's, they're the bad guys. They're cheap. They're goo. They're, they're so lame, but they crack me up. And the movie is horribly mean spirited. Yeah. Um, I, it was like when some of the people get killed, some of the characters out of nowhere. The bad guys are horrible. I'm just like, what? Or, like, it's the type of movie where the original Mall Santa goes into a room, tries to feel up a girl, gets slapped. And then he's like, I'm going to my room. And he starts just like laying out a bunch of cocaine. You're like, oh, we're doing this. This is just the type of movie. And then he's murdered viciously, lied out on the floor in a, L in a Santa suit, covered in coke with blood all around him. This is the type of movie you're into. It is a very mean-spirited but stupid and ridiculous Christmas horror movie. Yeah, and that, and that well, it doesn't even like, it becomes like a Nazi movie. Like, <laughs> And then the elves there for, there's shootouts that are actually for a low-budget movie, not that bad. Um, there's nudity in here. A decent amount of gratuitous nudity. A good amount of nudity. Which is appreciated for this movie. And the elf. Um, I don't know. There's like, sometimes he's just a head. You can tell it's just a guy with like a, a head on there and he sticks behind things. It's like, eh. You never see the elf. I don't think you ever see him in full frame. Like, no. you see his feet, you'll see his arm, or you see his head. <coughs> I don't think you ever see like an animatronic or like anything. At one point you see a little bit, but it's just like cobbled together and it doesn't, its eyes don't move, but I don't really have a problem with stuff like that. No. I, I think it's fun. I don't think they made a, a torso. Like, <laughs> just it's, it's like chest up, or, or you get like arm shots, or like even like leg shots, yeah. like point of view of his legs. I'd like, that's such a weird thing to do. I think it's just really like a giant glorified finger puppet. It's like, <laughs> right. it's like an arm puppet. Just a head. It's better than the puppets in a rock and roll nightmare, but. And he looks good. I mean, I mean, he don't look that good. He don't look back of the case good. Yeah, but he that's... looks kind of. And they show two of them on here. There's only one elf in this movie. This movie's called Elf. I'm that changing we the title. Of. Yeah, they never it show be more any than of them. One, one. Well, no, it's just one. Oh, uh, can we talk about the mom? Yeah, I've never wanted to kill a character more <laughs> in my life than anything. Within the first like twenty minutes of the movie, um, spoilers for elves here, uh, but she takes away this girl's savings that she worked for, <laughs> and she murders her cat for no reason. She's a monster. Like when she died, I cheered. I was like, like, but then you find out why the mom. Well, this is an excuse her behavior, but then like like something comes into play with the mom and and, and the grandpa. You realize why she's an animal. Yeah, and the grandfather too. They're both monsters. And you realize that this whole family just kind of needs to be put out of their misery. Yes, it's just a mess. It needs to end it. Which like, it made me wonder. Like, I don't want to spoil like the the mom thing, but like, who who'd her brother come from? Yeah, because we're watching it and we're like, okay, this is gross. But and then I said this to you, I was like, huh. Think the brother's the same boat? Right. <laughs> so, like, he went back and he already succeeded in the first part of it by having the, you know, the lineage correct. The super... And he's like, I'm just going to do it for the second time for good measure. <laughs> just to be safe. And, and by the way, the the grandpa acts like a poor man's Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. Yeah, he's in the wheelchair and he's like, the Nazi cult groups. <laughs> he's he's a Nazi. Doesn't one of the uh, other Nazis specifically quote uh, Day of the Dead? Oh, they do. They yeah. do. What's he say? 
He's like when there's no more room. Oh, in they hell, call it the Dawn of the Dead. Will, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, no more room in hell. The elves will walk through. The best scene in the entire movie is when Dan Haggerty gets some information by a librarian that this other like librarian or historian or doctor knows about elves, and so he barges into his house on Christmas Eve. This like well-off doctor <laughs> and his family sitting there. He's ready to carve the turkey, and he's like, "All right, this part is brilliant, and it's actually actually genuinely funny, and it's supposed to be funny." He's going to cut like the turkey, and Dan Haggerty burst in, and he's like. Tell me about the elves. He's like, what is going on? It's, I'm calling the police. He's like, just relax, dude. Just tell me about him. And he's like, all right. And then he gives these two theories. And his kids are just sitting there staring at the theories. And then all of a sudden, the guy looks over and he's like, elves. And then it just cuts for like, I don't know. I want this Blu-ray so bad. We want elves on Blu-ray. Dan Haggerty was amazing in it. Yeah, he's like a genuine like, hey, I want that guy as my uncle. Yeah. Dan Haggerty should be everybody's uncle. He just died a couple years ago. Did he really? Yeah. The only one I've seen him in was The Chilling, which is uh, um, not good, but I would put it in a similar vein to this movie, actually. <laughs> I actually think Elves is better than The Chilling. But Maybe you got to do a Dan Haggerty week. Dan Haggerty week. <laughs> it's like, I only got three movies with Dan Haggerty. <laughs> but uh, I would recommend Elves. They're not working for Santa anymore. He's not working. There's only one Elf. Yeah, <laughs> fucking bullshit. I think I saw this trailer when I was a kid, to be honest. And uh, I remember like wanting to see it so bad, but I think it was one of those movies where my mom was like, you're not watching that. She probably saw like the trailer and it looked really sleazy. Mm-hmm. It was the night before Christmas and all through the town, bloodthirsty elves are about to get down. Elf, but a bloodthirsty elf is about to get down. Yeah, no shit. I'm going to read the back just because I think it's probably going to be hilarious. An innocent romp in the woods turns... It's not innocent. You had a cult book. You're raising (laughs) elves. An innocent romp in the woods turns into a hellish nightmare when three young girls accidentally awaken an army of evil elves genetically created by a neo-Nazi mad scientist during World War II. These hideous creatures don't work for Santa. They have a special mission to mate with a virgin and take over the world as a pint-sized master race. Dan Haggerty. Grizzly Adams stars as Mike McGavin, a department store Santa who must expose this unholy force and stop the gruesome terror before the elves destroy Christmas. There's one elf, and it was so much better not knowing any of that crap when I went into it. I just right. ruined this movie experience for you guys. Because I was just watching it, and I was like, what? I remember there was Nazis. That's all I knew about. I thought that um, Dan Haggerty was going to be like the actual literal Santa and like, at that the end of the terrible. movie, he was just like, "I'm Santa Claus the whole time," but like the real Santa, because like that's how all Christmas movies work. Is like there's the the bum that everybody's kind of mean to, and it turns out he's Santa Claus, <laughs> and they find the magic of Christmas again. Have you ever seen Christmas uh, Evil? No, is that the same story? No, that has. I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it, but Christmas Evil has the best. It's similar. It has the best ending to any Christmas horror movie ever made. I don't even know it's a horror movie. It's just the craziest Christmas movie. The best ending ever. If you don't see the truncated version, but Magic of Christmas, Magic of Christmas, Elf, Elf, Master Race, Master Race, <laughs> Elf. I'd rather watch this than a Will Ferrell movie. The Will Ferrell movie with Elf, just called Elf. Is it just called Elf? Yeah, that's why Family Club Elves. No, this was made in '89 or '88. That movie's made like 2003. Yeah, I, I don't. Will Ferrell's. Yeah, I don't. They're just trying to cash in on Gremlins here. Okay, let's face it. That's why it's called Elf, as it takes place on Christmas. I don't know why they involve Nazis, but I don't care. But regardless, enjoy it. AIP Home Video An innocent romp in the woods turns into a hellish nightmare when an evil force is accidentally awakened. 
Action International Pictures presents the gruesome holiday shocker. Elves. They're not working for Santa anymore. My rough day at work. Santa got murdered. Their mission, to mate with a virgin and conquer the world as a pint-sized master race. I'm saving it for someone special. Dan Haggerty stars as Mike McGavin, an ex-detective working on hard times. First you stand and then you die. She is the most important person on Earth. From her will grow the new order. Santa must expose this unholy force before the elves destroy Christmas. Jesus Christ. Ah! Elves. They're not working for Santa anymore. Okay, guys, the next one coming up is the Weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when. Silence by Sergio Carbucci with Klaus Kinski and uh, uh, Luigi Pistelli's in here as well. Yeah, this one came out from Film Movement. I've been wanting to see this one forever. You know, everybody said, oh, it inspired, uh, what is it? Uh, Hateful Eight. It is, uh, um, it's a spaghetti western in the snow. You got to check it out. And uh, I was always interested in checking out Sergio Carbucci did Arrows and Django. He's kind of like the guy after Sergio Leone. Okay, let's get into the plot of this one. We have this silent uh, gunslinger who goes into town. He is protecting these uh, kind of guys that were like fighting a range war. And these guys are waiting to get uh, clemency from the governor. 
um, to get. So they're waiting for it. They're out in the outskirts of this town and they are robbing to survive, to eat. And uh, there's a bunch of bounty hunters around picking them off for, you know, money, of course. One is Klaus Kinski. He's pretty much the leader. He is uh, he's crazy. He is weird and evil. Luigi Pistelli is basically the guy who collects the debts and pays the debts and gets a cut of it. And uh, you guys know Luigi Pistelli and Klaus Kinski were both in for a few dollars more of the Sergio Leone movie. Uh, Klaus Kinski's in dozens and dozens of movies. Venom, uh, Creature, tons of stuff. Uh, the Nosferatu with Werner Herzog, tons of Werner Herzog movies. And Luigi Pistelli's and stuff like Bay of Blood by Mario Bava and um, Your Vice is a Locked Room and I, Only I Have the Key by Sergio Martino and of course he's for a few dollars more and Good to Bad and Ugly and of course this one. So those two are the actors that I, I was mostly focused on and enjoyed seeing. Uh, I will say about this movie is uh, it's got great scenery. It's got a great setup. It's got great bad guys. This is one of the ones that has some of the best bad guys ever. Even if they're in the movie for a little bit, they focus on them very well. They're very distinguished. They, they It feels like a Sergio Leone crew of bad guys. And almost all spaghetti westerns have an amazing set of bad guys. But uh, Klaus Kinski steals the show. Let's be honest here. Uh, his eyes are piercing. His dialogue, his demeanor, the way he gets things that he wants, how he tricks people people and how he gets the upper hand is brilliant. Frank Wolf's also in this kind of as a comical like but mean sheriff and he pops up in some giallos here and there so you'll recognize him but I do like this dynamic between the silent gunfighter who can't this mute gunfighter I guess I'll say well great silence they call him silence the the silent gunfighter uh, the bounty hunter and the sheriff and also the debt collector the, the guy who collects the you know the bounties uh, or gets paid for the pays for the bounty so you have like this four way of people and they're all not particularly great people and then you have the the guys outside in the range war, uh, basically waiting to be you know pardoned. So you have all this going on, and there's a small town, and everybody's involved, and everybody hates Klaus Kinski and wants him out. So it sets up a lot of possibilities, and at the end, it all comes together. And uh, by the ending of this movie, it kind of blew my mind. Uh, I was coming in at a fairly average. I was like, this is a this is a good spaghetti western. Um, but the ending of this movie, uh, it my jaw dropped. That's all I'm gonna say. I was like, that's what you're gonna do. And I was like, I feel terrible. That's all. That's all I could say. Usually, usually in these, it's not that it's not that dark of an ending. But that is the darkest spaghetti western ending I have ever seen. I mean, cut Cutthroat's Night's not spaghetti. Is it a Spanish one? A uh, uh, Spanish western? But that's pretty dark too. But this is dark. This is dark, dark. But uh, there's alternative endings on here, one of which is completely opposite, and another which is kind of in the middle. Alex Cox, uh, the director who did, you know, Repo Man and um, Straight to Hell, an, another crazy western, um, is involved with the special features. He talks about uh, all, uh, spaghetti westerns, and he talks about the alternative endings and stuff like that. So that's a, that's a nice uh, uh, thing on the disc. I would recommend checking this one out. The music's great. It's in Yomonokoni, I believe, so... It's a winner there. Without spoiling too much, it's well shot. It does the, the you know, it's it's typical the way it's made, except it's not typical the way it, it plays out. And it's not typical in its in its uh, weather conditions either, obviously, with the snow. So it's very nice seeing all that. And uh, it's got good characters. And it even has, like, a nice uh, reveals where they you don't typically expect them to be revealing moments. And then you're like, oh, that's what's going on here. And you get more in the story and stuff like that. So I, I think it's really worth checking out. I think it's a pretty cool spaghetti western. It is a bit long almost running two hours, but I, I liked it, and I think it's uh, one of the better ones I saw, for sure. I, I prefer it over Django, if that tells you anything.
tremare i cacciatori di taglie quando lo incontrano. Lo chiamano silenzio, perché dopo che è passato lui, resta soltanto il silenzio. Chi è quel tipo spiritoso col cappello da prete e con la pelliccia Tigrelo, uno che è meglio perderlo che trovarlo. Tratta di Tigrero, ha ucciso mio marito. Ditemi quanto volete. Senti, Muto, speri che io estraga per primo, vero? Perché non ti lascerò fare il furbo più di me? È un nemico dei Bounty Killer. È un illuso che crede di rimettere a posto il mondo con la pistola. Ma è venuto per uccidere te. Oh, oh. Sarà un giorno molto divertente. The serves can nothing to do with it. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Okay, the pick of the movie this week was by Jonathan Wilhelm. He picked Blade of the Immortal, Immortal by uh, Takeshi Miike. This is his 100th film. I'm going to be honest. Like I said, I don't know all Takeshi Miike's work. I have a bunch of it. I've only had a chance to check out a couple, one of which is Ichi the Killer, which I saw way too late, and I thought the CGI was so dated. I, I, just, I was also like 20 when I saw it, so bear with me. Uh, Blade of the Immortal uh, feels like the story of kind of like the samurai true grit where this uh, young girl's family is killed, and she hires an assassin um, to uh, revenge them. But there's a little bit more uh, supernatural elements into this. Uh, the, uh, the people who killed her family were going around killing everybody in the dojo or forcing them to join their gang. Uh, it's littered with crazy, weird uh, assassins that all seem to have their own techniques, and they're kind of like... A, they're kind of bastardized techniques, so they don't really ever can never join their own dojo or start their own dojo. So they're kind of like outskirts. They're kind of, they don't learn like others, but they're very good and very dangerous. And the um, samurai that she hires to get revenge, and they have a, obviously a, a, a brother-sister relationship as it progresses because something that happened to this character in the beginning of the film, he has this weird curse with bloodworms where he heals kind of in a similar fashion to Wolverine, not as extreme. So he... In a way, he's immortal. Um, and he basically goes with this young girl and they form a relationship. And uh, it gets more complicated as it progresses, of course, with all these different characters. It is a fairly long movie, I think two hours and 15, 20 minutes. And uh, he ends up facing off against all sorts of different assassins, the first of which is an amazing bad guy. Just imagine Nightmare Shredder. Uh, he is intense, he is scary, and they do some, some real surreal kind of scary stuff in here, so much so that I was like, is this a dream? Uh, the one problem with the movie is they kind of feel like there's no transitions or people just pop up and the scenes cut in and you're just like, what, how did we get here real quick? What's going on? 
on, I missed something or did I miss something or did I miss like five seconds of screen time and it completely changed to a different situation here, a different uh, tone real quick. It, it doesn't, the transitions aren't necessarily there, if that makes any sense. It just feels kind of like I would say like the movie The Barn, which I really enjoyed, but they're kind of just like, oh, oh, we're stumbling into the next set piece. That's what I would say the problem here is. And this movie does try to pull for dramatic moments. They have a lot of characters. They have a lot of established like relationships and whatnot and drama. And they do it well, and I don't want to blame the movie for it, but I had no attachment to any of the characters. Almost like I was like, everything's going to plan out how it is, and if it doesn't, like if something tragic happens, I don't care as much, which is strange. It is gory. There's tons of death in here. Hundreds of hundreds of people die. The action's fun. It never dulls down. It's it's never boring. Like I said, it gets to, it hits all its points right. It's just, and it's entertaining as hell. Uh, I just wish I had a closer attachment to the characters and the relationship here. And uh, there's a good mythos uh, in here. And I like the bad guys, and I like that it gets a little bit more complex in here. And there's some good dialogue, especially by the lead in here, where at the end he's like, then who am I killing? And I don't care. Government or uh, the other gang. And that, that's a great line there, and he goes to town. But um, it's one of these deals at the end where they might have to work together to kill each other later. And I like that. It, it's well made. It, it's well shot. I love the foliage. And at times you see it in the background and it's like, it's like fall and you see the beautiful trees and whatnot. It's a good looking movie. It uh, sounds good. There's good fighting. There's some good moments of comedy. Like, I mean, slight humor when he says stuff like that. Not out. Not uh not necessarily, not definitely not out of the tone of the movie, but like I said, tonally sometimes they're like when they they like switch to the first bad guy that he was fighting, kind of the main bad guy. It feels like it's just from like a Nightmare on Elm Street like movie or something like that. But uh, I, I think it's a it's really cool, and if you like samurai movies, I'd really check it out. I need to see more myself, but uh, I'm not unhappy I saw it. And uh, the scars are all like overly done and in, in a cool stylized way. I guess this is a manga, so you know. Uh, it says he will take a thousand lives to protect one. And I, I'm not sure, I, I wouldn't even be surprised if a, a thousand people might actually die in this movie. There's a lot going on. Uh, there's some CGI, if I remember, a lot of it's practical. It's not like super gory, but they have bits and moments that are pretty cool. So I would, uh, check this one out, Blade of the Immortal. It, it's pretty cool. You like that kind of stuff. ふしの剣士だ。一刀流は父上を殺し。絶対に双葉らない男がこの江戸のどこかにいる。その男を探し出せ。父上の敵討ちを手伝ってください。
悪いな少し汚しちまった大丈夫かすり傷だよ Okay guys That was the pick a movie Let's see who's gonna be in the new one If you want to enter the pick a movie If you want me to review something Leave a comment on、uh, YouTube or Screaming Toilet Or send me a Facebook message You can leave a question If there's ever written reviews, they're over at the screaming toilet where this is. You can enter. Let's see who's going to win. You always stay in the hat until you're drawn. Then you have to re enter. Who do we got? Peter McCain. Let me know what you want me to review.、Uh, I think Bunham,、uh, the last person who won, picked the John Cassavetes movie, the wom A Woman Under the Influence. So that'll probably be the week after.、Uh, yeah, that'll be next week. But let's hop into the QA. Nick. Agree, disagree. The best horror movies are made by non horror movie directors, i.e., Stanley Kubrick.、Uh, I don't know if that's true because it's hard to determine if George Romero and Wes Craven and John Carpenter always wanted to be horror directors and whatnot. Or Toby Hooper. They just get pigeonholed into the horror genre, so it's really hard to determine that. And I would say that stuff like The Shining or even like,、uh, what are some other ones out there? Like. Don't answer,、uh, don't, look, don't look now, and stuff like that. Yeah, those, or Rosemary's Baby, those might be like. Vastly superior to a lot of horror movies, the way they're made, but、uh, they're not my favorites. My favorites are like by Carpenter or Romero and Fulci and stuff like that. So I don't think almost anybody in the classic director era set out to just make horror movies, to be honest. I just think that that's just what happened to them.、Uh, please name some obscure but good haunted house movies.、Uh, haunted houses are not my like strong point. It's something I don't particularly care for in all the ones I have seen are probably pretty average, but I, I mean, I like Amityville 6. <laughs> That's not obscure, but I don't think anybody talk about it. It's the one with the, the clock, whichever one's the one with the clock. And I like Burn Offerings. I remember liking that one. I wouldn't say it's obscure, though. When making a movie yourself, what would you prefer? Loads of cash, but constant interference by money men or women? Or, or limited budget, but total artistic freedom? How limited are we talking? Like $20,000? Yeah, I'll take the unlimited. That, that's $20,000 or something. I'll, I'll take that. I mean, if you're like $20 million, but basically you're just the guy that, say,、uh, that says cut. No, I'd rather have the $20,000 and make a fun,、uh, cool movie. Skip, you mentioned watching movies with your family several times when you were younger, and you have mentioned that you were very close to your late father. My question is. Whether your mother or father's taste in films influenced you, your own likes and dislikes. And they probably did not watch indie horror movies, films nonetheless. I made them watch a couple. Just like I remember they watched Manson Family. I had them watch that. But they didn't typically watch the indie stuff. I mean, I would rent stuff occasionally when I was very young. But I mean, everybody、um, that you grew up with or you're around a lot influences what you watch, to be honest. Let's face it. My grandfather was a big movie fan, and he used to bring down、uh, tons and tons of universal horror movies. So that affected me to love monsters at a very young age. My father loved westerns, and he liked you know, a lot of the movies that he told me to watch young, like Hard Times and Emperor of the North. I have soft spots for Death Hunt. And when I actually did watch them, I was like, oh, these are really cool. I know why I liked them. And、uh, you know, my mom always loved Stephen King. So I. You know, stuff like that. Like,、uh, my Aunt Judy maybe watched The Lost Boys young. There's just a lot of people. You know, sometimes a friend would bring something over and you'd watch it and you'd get hooked on it. So, the people that you grew up with or the people that you're around do influence the movies that you like and whatnot. So, yeah, for sure. 
Jason Callen Shark Tag. He uh, tagged me in a movie tag. Uh, Jason Callen has a YouTube channel. If you like uh, movie uh, food reviews and movie reviews, check him out. He's a nice guy. Do you like shark movies and why? Yes, I do. Because uh, they're fun and aquatic horror is terrifying because you don't know what's underneath you. And uh, the ocean is a very undiscovered place. Best shark movie ever made. It's Jaws. Uh, what is the worst shark movie ever made? I don't know. I'm sure I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's one of the sci-fi originals that I avoided on purpose. What is the silliest shark movie ever made that I saw? Mm. I don't watch any of the sci-fi ones, but uh, Monster Shark's pretty silly. Deep Blood's pretty silly. Uh, Cruel Jaws is really silly. That's the worst one I've ever seen, Bryce. Cruel Jaws. What is the silliest title for a shark movie? It's got to be one of those uh, Sharknado or like any of those. Just any of them. Sharknado's enough. Any of those titles. Are you looking forward to seeing... The Mag and any future Sharknado movies. I'll watch The Mag. I don't know how excited I am to see it. I like mostly the crazy aquatic horror stuff, like uh, the older ones. Like, uh, I just recently watched The Endless Descent or The Rift with some friends. And, yeah, that movie's ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, I'll watch Mag for sure, but I'm not interested in any of the Sharknado movies. It's not my thing. It's not really my thing at all. You know, I... I said this before, but I feel like they're celebrating failure. Like that's why I don't even like attack to kill tomatoes because it's like bad on purpose. Like if you have a like limited budget and you're silly, just you're probably gonna have a lot of bad stuff in it anyways, and people will forgive it if it's got heart and they might enjoy it more so. But if you purposely go out there to be over the top or bad, it, it just uh, it's just not for me. It's just not something I like. It's like celebrating failure, and I'm just not into that. Um. Okay, let's hop into the update and let's see what we got. Okay, guys, here's the update. Let's start this one off with a bang. Last week, I was talking crap about Steven Seagal, so naturally, I got some Steven Seagal Blu-rays. Uh, this is the triple feature. As much crap as I talk about Steven Seagal, there's no doubt that Under Siege 1 and 2 are some of the most fun you'll have for an action movie. I love those two movies. It's been a while since I've seen Above the Law. I think I've only seen it on television. But this triple pack is like 10 11 bucks. Can't beat that brand new. I love these little tripper packs because they're all tripper packs, the triple packs because it has uh, all three of the discs in there. This is a perfect uh, space saver. I don't need all these on individual discs. I think I still need to probably pick up Marked for Death and Hard to Kill with Steven Seagal and Blu-ray. Figures in the Landscape. This was recommended uh, by Extro the Mutilator. He couldn't say enough good things about this one. Robert Shaw, Malcolm McDowell. This is from the uh, Kino sale. This came in. I actually, my third order showed up before my second. The second one still hasn't shipped. But yeah, Figures in the Landscape. Looks pretty cool. Can't go wrong with Extro. Uh, Z, zero Population Growth. Oliver Reed. Come on. Kino here. Sci-Fi. Love Oliver Reed. And uh, I've had this one in my basket about half a dozen times. Uh, some sort of science fiction futuristic deal here. And we have Unforgettable. This is more like a thriller kind of horror deal. Ray Liotta's in here. Linda Florentino. She's. In, I remember, wasn't she always constantly nude in movies during the 80s and 90s? But Ray Liotta, you guys know. Goodfellas, another Kino. We got Solar Babies, had the old MGM DVD, never watched it. Now I have the Kino Blu-ray, which hopefully I will actually watch. It's kind of like a family-friendly, maybe kids kind of science fiction movie. Probably PG-13, I'm not 100% on that. Then we have uh, The Skull with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. This looked cool. I believe this is uh, this is by, what, Freddie Francis or Terrence Fisher? One of, the, one of the heavy guys who did a lot of the Hammer stuff, but yeah. I love Christopher Lee, Lee, Lee. No, no, Christopher Lee Lee. I love Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. They can do no wrong. So Patrick, uh, who's that in there? 
Winmark's in there too, so that's cool. Yeah, 1965. I'm not sure. Patrick Winmark's one of those names that I hear, but I can't register it right away. Uh, the Rosary Murders with uh, this is another Kino with Donald Sutherland and Charles During. There's another one that came out was like a priest slasher thing. I know there's one with uh, in the name of the Rose or something. Sean Connery. But there's one called Mortal Sin, which I had on VHS with Christopher Reeve. And I know I've seen one of those movies. I think it was either this one or Mortal Sin. But yeah, love Donald Sutherland. Then we have The Last Embrace by Jonathan Demme. This has uh, Roy Scheider in it. Yeah, picking up some weak spots in my Roy Scheider collection. So there we go. The Last Embrace. This one looks fun. Uh, Vincent Price, Tab Hunter, uh, <laughs> War Gods of the Deep. I love Vincent Price. Can't go wrong with Price. So, yeah. Another Kino. And then we hit the home stretch, the last three Kino ones. The Seventh Continent. On the top it says that a lost world shut off by the wall of ice, roamed by beasts unknown to science, ruled by men lost to history, doomed to vanish in chaos of leaping flames. The people that time forgot. I heard these ones are super fun. These, uh, what is it, Doug McClure kind of, uh, you know, fantasy movies. This is another keynote, The People That Time Forgot. And what would it be without The Land That Time Forgot? Yes, I've not seen any of these, believe it or not, but they look like a lot of fun. There's supposed to be four of these. I know that Kino released three. Um, I grabbed the three, and uh, what's the last one? At the Earth's Core. Uh, and there's another one I imported from uh, UK uh, DVD, but I haven't got it yet. So maybe a, a future a four, a quartet is in... Uh, my future here to watch all four of these but i appreciate it and back to the video appreciate you guys watching now back to the video okay thank you very much guys for watching and you guys as always have a good one hey